Uh, if you have Bibles, uh, I hope that you do. Um, we're going to be in, back in Matthew today. Um, we have been uh, walking through, listening to what Matthew told us about Jesus, and then what Jesus had to say. Uh, we'll be in, in, in chapter 6 today, but um, Matthew just opens up this gospel, this story of who this Jesus is by telling us about who Jesus is. And he goes through this long lineage. Um, we went through this um, back in October, November. This long lineage uh, pointing to the fact that Jesus is descended and he has the proper resume. He falls in the line of this guy named David and to be this king. And then he tells us about this amazing birth, how Jesus is born in this miraculous way uh, uh, to a virgin and how the whole nations come to him and come visit him and how he has to flee into Egypt. And he's just constantly re- repeating this refrain, like, as it was promised, as it was promised, as it was promised. And then we hear from this guy named John the Baptist. Matthew tells us about this guy named John the Baptist who comes along and he's just saying, like, there's somebody coming after me who's even greater than me. And he's talking about how great Jesus is going to be. And it's, Jesus comes and is baptized by him. And there's this beautiful scene where the sky split and uh, the spirit, uh, the, a, a dove descends on Jesus and you hear this voice that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus is taken out into the desert to be tempted. Uh, and he succeeds where everybody else in history has failed. He does not, uh, he does not give in to temptation. Uh, and then in chapter 5, we finally, by this point, like you're just really ready to hear what this, this person has to say by the time you get to chapter 5. And you get this amazing teaching, the greatest teaching ever, uh, uh, collected here for us by Matthew. Uh, we call it commonly the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, or the Sermon on the Mount we get to hear what Jesus is like. And he, what he's been talking about this whole time, according to Matthew, is this idea of kingdom. Right? Something has happened. Something is happening. And it, it falls under the heading of the kingdom of God is coming. But it's just different than you would expect, right? Especially in a world where people think about things like kingdom, especially in a world where Jesus is born in the shadows of a mountain that a king built to put his palace on top of it. Like unbelievable power and authority in the Roman Empire. And in the shadow of that, this Jesus is born to poor parents. And he's traveling around preaching and teaching. And this king, Matthew's pointing to, talks about a kingdom, but he's just it's weird, and it's odd the way he's doing it. Everybody, everybody's almost confused by the way he's talking about it. For example, he opens up his great teaching by saying things like this. Like, the people who are blessed are poor in spirit. People who have an envious, the life that you should be envious of, are people who mourn and meek and hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's just this backwards and upside down way of thinking about the world. And he begins to teach what God is like and what he's saying pure in heart, peacemakers, and then he calls people to be salt and light, and he just, this amazing, amazing teachings. Well, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount uh, is this uh, teaching on prayer uh, that we call the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus actually starts off by telling them how to not to pray. He says, hey, look, don't pray so that everybody can see you. This, this is not a chance to perform. <laughs> Your prayers are between you and God. And so he says, like, don't do this thinking that this somehow earns you righteousness by how good you are at words. And then he says this, don't pray with a bunch of words. Like, you have to summon up God to listen to you. God knows you. He already knows what you need. You do not have to summon him up like the pagans think that you do. You don't have to do a bunch of chanting and weird incantations to get God to listen to you. That's not who he is and what he's like. 
Don't pray like that. And then he says this. Instead, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is how Jesus taught his followers to pray. This is how he taught us to pray. And it's just a great, great God. Prayer seems to be this, man, it's just a universal instinct, really. Like we have, I think you have to fight against the instinct to pray. Uh, humans just seem to need to cry out when we feel blessed, right, to something. And when we are in need, when life seems beyond us, there's this need to cry out to something beyond us. And so Jesus goes to his followers and says, hey, listen, when you pray, like this is how you pray. And he gives us this model. Not that we just recite this, although that's an excellent place to start. Uh, and I do that uh, in a day multiple times. So. But also that we build off of the ideas that he's teaching us in here. So we've already walked through uh, previously. It's been, a, it's been a minute, but we've walked through some of these ideas. For example, it starts with our Father in heaven. He starts off with this picture that when you go to God, You go to him knowing that he is your father, right? And you pray to him like he has adopted you out of his great love for you. It's a different approach. We approach a God who has done a thing, who has said something, and we are responding to him. And so you start by going to God, our father, and reminding ourselves of who he is and what he is like. That's where we begin. Not only that, our father, right? It's not just me and my father, it's our father. He's also made us a member of this huge group of people that he is redeeming and making everything new. Our father. And then he says this, he says, uh, hallowed be your name. That's the second, second petition. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is a prayer that God would stir up all of the nations to make a big deal about who God is. That he would be preeminent, that, that people all over the world would look to him to praise and to make much of. Hallowed be your name. And then thy kingdom come. This is what Jesus has been talking about. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Those aren't two separate things. Those things are connected. That where God's will is done is his kingdom. His kingdom is where his will is done. And so your will, see, my kingdom is where my will is done, right? My kingdom is where what I want to happen happens. And, and, and Jesus teaches, teaches his followers to pray this amazing thing, that your kingdom come. And see, kingdoms don't coexist. There's either one or the other. One kingdom drives out the other. So when we pray this, thy kingdom come, it's drive out any other kingdom, any other thing that wells up in my life that dictates how I should live. Jesus, come, move all that out of the way. So he teaches us to pray as we're moving through life, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then you get to this other part. So it's kind of structured almost in two books, right? There's this first half and the second half. The first half is this praising God. It's, it's God-focused. God our Father, right? Kingdom in heaven. All these things. Your will you'll be done. And then it says this. On heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Those are things that they're asking for yourself, right? It starts off focused on God. And then you ask what we need, right? That's part of prayer is going to God our Father with what we need. But I love that he takes us there slowly. I love that we don't jump straight there. I think one of the great dangers that we pray when we 
pray these prayer, our prayers, and, and there's a time and place for this, but as a, as, a, as a model for how we should do it on a daily basis, just running into prayer and announcing what we need without first rehearsing what our God is like and remembering how much he loves us and what he's capable of, man, if we, if we just get too fast to what we need, it's easy to get things in my heart out of order, Right? My greed and my need jumps above who he is, right? Or, or my fears, right? My fears get out in front of how gracious and loving and merciful he is. And so first Jesus teaches us to, that God draws us near to him and who he is and what he's like before we ever even get around to what it is that we want, whatever it is that we need. And so um, we arrive first at the first uh, part of this where it addresses what we need. God has already carried us to himself, uh, and so now we begin to ask. But when we ask what we need, when we get to the parts of our prayer uh, uh, that we need food, um, which, by the way, it seems a little odd that it's, to me at first that it's there at all. But, but before, before we get to what we're asking, it has to be in line with what we've just prayed. Does that make sense? If we've just prayed that God is made glorious, that his kingdom is advanced, not just in the world but in my own heart, that what God wants and his will comes first, if I've prayed that, then I can't expect to ask anything when I finally get around to asking for my needs that doesn't line up with what I just prayed in the first half. So uh, we've prayed that he is made much of, and it focuses on him. But the reality is that's good for us too, right? It would be bad for us if anything else took primary place in our heart, in our life, or in the world. Because nothing in this universe loves you and is more interested in your eternal joy than God our Father. So if anything else took that place in our heart, we praise him and lift him up, but that's also good for us, but our focus is on him. Nobody's more concerned. So we can't contradict. So if we get to this prayer, right? I get to this thing, God, here's the things that I need. I, I need my daily bread. I need this and I need that. Here's the things that I need. If I get to that, I cannot expect to, here's what I'm trying to say. Uh, if, if that promotion is bad for me, if it's gonna elevate in my heart to a place that pushes God out of the center, why would he give that to me? If I won the lottery, Right? Or whatever it is, if I finally have that relationship that I've been longing for and pining for, if I want that so bad, but if I ever got it, it would put, it would push God off of the throne of my heart. I mean, it would just be cruel for him to give it to me, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be cruel? Kids, you know, just like, they come to you and I love them so much, right? Like, as part of me, you get older, right? You just love kids more and more. I don't know how it happens, but it's something like you get softer, I guess. Start wearing cardigans and weird things. They have cough drops in the pockets. So you, kids just come running to you and they, they, they just like, hey, like, can I have, can I have candy right now? And, and you want to give it to them because they're amazing. I just want to give them all candy and then send them back to your house. But if I did this over a long period of time, they would continually ask for that. Wouldn't that just be cruel of me if I only fed them candy? And we want these things sometimes and we don't understand, but our Father who knows better than us what is good for us 
will sometimes withhold things that we ask for because he knows it doesn't line up with the first part that he is made much of in the world. Why would he give me a thing that would drive the best thing, having him, out of my heart? So when we get to this need, it cannot contradict. It cannot ask for something other than God to have the most gravity, the most weight in my life. And it's such a simple thing, right? God, give me my food, my daily bread. Uh, I think it's just almost easy for us to skip past this. Like it's just, I don't know, we talked about the grandeur of God, the weight and beauty of God, all the glory. Also, by the way, like I need food. Seems like a weird thing to include in this great prayer. But man, I love it so much. And here's why. Let's not skip right past it because here's why I love it so much. Or maybe I should say this, why I'm, how I'm learning it to love it more and more. One, it just affirms the goodness of God's creation. Christianity is not something like where God's not concerned about his creation. Like he's not, we're not going to be whisked away to be spirits somewhere someday. Jesus' resurrected body, he shows up and he pops into this room and he just asks for something to eat, right? And it's one of the wildest things that ever has to have, have ever happened in the history of humanity. Jesus appears in a room and he's just like, yeah, I'm hungry. It's wild, affirming the goodness of his creation, of our bodies, that he's going to make all things new one day. What a glorious thing. What an amazing thing. And so in praying for this, it just, it just affirms. So we can't get super hyper-spiritual and be like, no, like even if I don't have food, I deny myself and I need it. Yeah, okay, great. Like, yes, spiritual things, yes. Also, you're a human being. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you need to be properly nourished. We're just all into good. It's amazing to me. You don't eat right for long enough, it'll affect you emotionally and eventually spiritually. You don't take care of yourself spiritually, it'll affect you emotionally and physically. You don't take care of yourself in any of these ways because we are, it's going to affect you in all the other ways because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in this amazing, amazing way. And God is concerned about every single part of us. It's this affirmation that our bodies are good and that we have needs and that God is concerned about it. So it's this promise, this reminder that he's going to one day make all things new. But also, I mean, I think for us, right? I mean, I don't know, probably nobody in this room, probably nobody in this room has ever been super worried about where their next meal was going to come from. I think maybe like a bigger problem for me than wondering where our next meal is from is I will sometimes in the middle of one meal plan my next meal. Like I'll be sitting there eating food like this is so good. You know, we should have dinner. Because we just have, how do I pray this? Give me the food that I need for today when I've never really ever worried about where my next meal is coming from. We live in a place that we're just blessed with abundance of things. So here's why I think it's important though. It reminds us to be aware and to have gratitude. I think it reminds us this prayer when we pray this, God, give me my food today. It reminds me of the goodness of food. But it's a gift from God. It also reminds me of the miracle of food. I don't know if you've ever tried to grow a plant at your house that brings you food. It's not easy. I mean, I think most of us would have to look up what photosynthesis is, right? Like, it, God miraculously, by sending rain, causing these plants to draw up, food, uh, draw up uh, water, producing plants that produce fruits and food, grains for us, and through the miracle of procreation, God feeding thousands and thousands and thousands with just a few fish, right? Right? 
The miracle of food, it reminds us that this is not something that we have for ourselves, but it's something that is a gift of God. I think we just so easily, because of the abundance of food in America, it's so easy for us to just think that we did that ourselves and forget the great miracle and the great gift that food is from God. It also teaches uh, us that uh, even when we feel like through great art and great effort and great industry that we've produced something when we stop and we pray. It seems like, I don't know, maybe it's a silly thing, but, and you know, there's no place really that that, that has, there's no verse that says what I'm about to tell you, but uh, dude, I'm just a big fan of saying the blessing before I eat. I know that sounds silly, right? I grew up doing it as a habit, but I just absolutely love it because before I eat, it's this moment to stop and remind myself of this very thing. I don't deserve this. I didn't, I didn't create this, and I should be grateful for it. I love that pause in that moment, right before I eat, to be reminded of his goodness. It's an opportunity, no matter how much effort I made, no matter how much art went into it, if Taylor made it, uh, how good it is, that it is ultimately this gift from God. So I love that when we pray this, it is an effort, it is a place for us to practice gratitude, but also contentment. It's so easy when we have an abundance of food to not be grateful and content with the thing that we have and want something else. Uh, man, like it just, we, we're really bad about that at my house. Can I, I'll just tell you that. Like we're real bad at like sitting down and going like, this is amazing. Uh, you know what would also would have been good? Like if we had gone, like we can't just be happy with the grilled cheese and soup at my house. And that's my fault. That's my fault. Not their fault. That's my fault. Like we can't just be like grilled cheese. I'm like, nope, I'm going to have to make the best grilled cheese ever been made in the history of time. It's going to take seven iterations. Dinner will be ready at 10. Like I just, how I, I just need this thing that's just out there, right? Like I just, I, I, Every meal, I treat every meal like it's my last meal. That's what happens. Like I just need it to be the best one ever. And, 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 and this prayer reminds me that this thing that I have that will sustain me is a gift from God. Not only does it make me grateful, but it reminds me of God's provision and helps me be content. Another thing I love about it is the word daily. Not just give me food. Give me my daily food. I need food today, and I'm going to need food tomorrow, and I'm going to trust you tomorrow for the food that I need as I trusted you for the food that you provided today, no matter how much I have saved up. Even if I have a pantry full of food ready to cook tomorrow, I'm going to trust you tomorrow that you will provide that for me, that I didn't do it, this is your provision, and that I love the idea that he teaches us to pray. I love the concept that he teaches us to pray, that it is our daily food that we are to be grateful for. There's this dependence, right? It's so easy to fall into the trap when we have money and we have things, that this is stuff that we have and that we've earned and, that, and forget to have gratitude to forget how dependent we are on God for every bit of what we have. And then what happens is we just become ungrateful, thinking that we have and should have better. When we trust and become dependent. The other thing about being dependent is um, it reminds me how childlike we're supposed to be. Uh, If you don't have kids, uh, let me tell you that one of the most common things that you will hear is some version of, I'm hungry. 
Just constant. I mean, from the minute they're born, they're just screaming for one of three reasons. They're in pain, they need to go to the bathroom, but most often, I'm hungry. And then they get older, and they start getting picky about what they're, they're not, they're just very specific. Mm, not that, but that. Right? And then they get teenager, teenage boys, and there's just bottomless pits. There's just, you can't, you can't give them enough food. They're just constantly hungry. Be eating sometimes food in the mouth. I'm hungry. What are you doing? And nobody's taking it from you. Like, what? Just finish the food in front of you. I'm hungry. It's just one of the things that we hear constantly. And here's why you hear that, though, as, a, as an adult. Because these kids trust and believe that you, they know that they have a need, and they believe and trust you to provide for it. And when we pray this, we pray this in childlike dependence. Dad, Father, I'm hungry. <laughs> provide for me. And he says, yep, here you go. It's this provision of God. It does not come to us by our own, but it is a gift for him. Another thing I've started to love about this, praying this in the Lord's Prayer and learning how to pray this in the midst of abundance. And I think it may be as important in the midst of abundance as any other time. In the midst of abundance, we pray this prayer not just for ourselves, but I think that we pray it for others. Millions of people woke up today without their daily bread with no hope for it tomorrow that they know of, with a daily sustenance. Millions of people pray for food, wake up and need food, and do not know where it's going to come from. So when we pray this, we have the great privilege of asking our Father, not just for my needs, but for the needs of my brothers and sisters around the world. It helps me see myself not just as this individual, but as part of this wider Christian family that God has made. It helps me see myself as part of something bigger, and that there are brothers and sisters that are struggling, and it moves me to a different place to understand that even if I am not hungry today, that there are people who are, and it moves me. It moves me to a different place. It moves me out of my selfishness. And it helps me, again, return to the gratitude for what I have, but also to think of others and to pray in some way on their behalf. Father, I know there are those that are hungry today. Feed them. Uh, there's this great quote, uh, this uh, old uh, this British, sorry, not British, uh, uh, Baptist preacher, a guy named Spurgeon, said this, a church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, to fight with evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood. So theological things, right? A church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice, and to hold up righteousness is a church that has no right to be. It's part of what we do as being part of the church. We say in the Apostles' Creed each week, we say uh, that, that, uh, the word that confuses a lot of people, uh, the Catholic church. It just means worldwide. Uh, lowercase c means worldwide church. That we're part of this church, Catholic, and that we have brothers and sisters that we get to pray for on behalf of them. Father, give us our daily bread. Give us what we need. And then to go serve them. And one of the ways that we can do this here, uh, because I tend to think uh, uh, that it, this is only a world problem, and, and, and it is more around the world than it is in America for certain, but uh, each week, no, each month, we do backpack meals, not for kids in some far-off country, not for kids downtown, but for kids in Bluff Park that teachers are concerned won't have enough food for the weekend. 
So we collect food each month. If we, that's a thing that we as a church should be concerned about, feeding those that are hungry when we can, those that God brings in our path. And so we love that we get to do that, that we get to share in this by the way that we bring little cups of macaroni and cheese and little oatmeal packets and all these things that we bring so these elementary students, we can be certain they have food over the weekend. When we pray this, we are standing in solidarity with those who have great need. But I also think, I also think that maybe, I I don't want to say layers, right? Like, maybe Jesus is pointing to something deeper in this phrase as well. Not to diminish what I just said, believe all that all my heart but Jesus has said already some things about food uh, so in Matthew 4 right and when he was tempted in the wilderness uh, he to make turn stones into bread Jesus says it's written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God not just by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God so he's quoting Deuteronomy 8 So Deuteronomy 8, it says, He humbled you and let you know your hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus is quoting this passage from Deuteronomy, which is saying, hey, when you guys were wandering around in the desert and you didn't know what was going on and God fed you anyway, he fed you from his hand so that you'd know you don't just need food, you need everything that he gives you. Everything that you have, you need more than food. You need everything that comes from God. It's almost like having enough to eat is just not enough. That we need more. Did you know that I read, I saw this NBC website, whatever, that in 2023, there were more suicides on record than ever before. 50,000 people. It's tragic. Felt hopeless and hurt and lost. In a country that has plenty to eat. It's almost like having enough food is just not enough. That we need something more. That something's, something's missing. If all we have is enough to eat. And so I think that Jesus is pointing us when we pray this, not to just our physical needs, but that the food that points us to almost to something more fundamental that we need. That we need everything that God has provided. That not only do we need physical sustenance, but we need this promised spiritual life. We need brand, we, we need something more. We, we need purpose and reason and we need, we need life. Isaiah, this prophet, long time before Jesus comes, Jesus loves to quote Isaiah. This guy named Isaiah uh, said this. He says, on the mountain of the Lord, the mountain of the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Sounds amazing, right? This is a very excellent description of a meal that I would Definitely show up for. And, and so he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He'll swallow up death forever. 
and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. So there's this promise in Isaiah that God's gonna come and he's gonna prepare this huge feast and this huge feast is gonna be the celebration that he has done what no one else could do and swallowed up death itself. No more tears. There's this huge celebration of what God has done. And Jesus shows up. And he seems to be repeatedly celebrating like this. He seems to be saying, like, it's not time for fasting. It's a time for celebrating. As a matter of fact, he is accused of eating and drinking too much, of celebrating too much. In Matthew 11, we're not there yet, but we'll get there uh, uh, soon. Uh, Jesus, says, uh, they come, uh, Jesus says this, For John came neither eating and drinking, and they said he's got a demon. The son of man, talking about himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. They accuse him of being a glutton and a drunkard. He's going around celebrating, but... They're quoting, like they're quoting an Old Testament passage. They're quoting from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 21, it says this. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, this is crazy, who not obey the voice of his father and the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, the father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, this is our son, stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. When they call him a glutton and a drunkard, they're saying, This guy deserves to be stoned to death. He's not doing anything in line with what our Father says. And Jesus says, I'm celebrating this feast that has come. The kingdom is near because I am here. And this feast, death is about to be swallowed up in a way that you could not even imagine. The kingdom is about to come in a way that you could not even dream of. And I am here to make all this happen. So he goes around celebrating these feasts with people. Telling people that in him there will be forgiveness of sins. In him there is grace in forgiveness, in him there is purpose, in him there is a life that will not fail us, in him there is new strength, there are new mercies daily. Look, we need our food every day. We need that. We pray for that physical sustenance. But he's teaching us, I think, to pray even for the deeper needs, for the things that we need beyond that. God, today give me reason. Today, give me purpose. Today, give me strength. Fulfill me. Point me in the right direction. Satisfy me with good things. Because if you do not, I know that I will roam and wander and try to satisfy myself with things that will only destroy me. But instead, satisfy me with you. When he asks us to pray this, when he teaches us to pray this, it is for the physical needs that we have, for the physical needs that our brothers and sisters have, but also for the spiritual needs that we have. Because we need to be satisfied there as well. So when we pray this, this is what he is teaching us. Satisfy us daily with what we need today. Assure me of the promises of what we will have tomorrow. Give me the hope of anticipated joy. We pray this and the joy we gain from the assurance of our inheritance becomes a light to the world.
Our prayer in this verse is to have our deepest desires be met. And our deepest desire is for God himself. Whether we realize it or not, our deepest desire is for God himself to be fed with him. So when we come to the table, communion, each week, and we take the bread and we take the juice, uh, uh, the wine, uh, it is in some ways this living out and answering of this prayer where we are taught to remember him and to think of him in all things. It is this symbol that points us to our most basic needs of food and drink, but also of spiritual life. This table, we come with our physical and our psychological and our emotional and our spiritual needs, and we lay them before the God who knows already but wants us to know how deeply invested he is. He's united himself to us in this way by becoming flesh and dying on the cross that we could have life. We come to the table and we come in prayer. Just a bundle of, maybe, I don't want to put this on you, uh, I come as a bundle of needs and a bundle of shortcomings, a bundle of just messed up passions. And he meets us with healing and forgiveness and support and grace and mercy. Because of his great love for us, he meets our needs daily. And Jesus teaches his followers to pray this way. God, every single day, sustain me with what I need for today. So let's, let's pray and then we'll celebrate this together. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you have provided for us in so many ways. You've provided for us physically, right? For our sustenance. You know our form and that we are but dust and that we need your provision. But you've provided for us in Christ eternal life. You provided for us by faith in him, life that we could never have even dreamed of. So when we come to you, when we come to this table, we come as sinners needing forgiveness. But we come as a family. We come knowing that you have adopted us by faith in Jesus him taking our punishment, him taking the shame, him taking the scorn on the cross that we might have life, him standing in our place. So we come to this table to remember, to be reminded that we might experience daily your presence, your sustaining love, and your new mercies every day. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.